Hello, Fried fans, and welcome to Season 3 of Fried the Burnout Podcast. I'm your host, Kate Donovan, and my mission with Fried is to hashtag end burnout culture. On this pod, we end burnout culture by sharing stories of people who have been through it all and lived to tell the tale, sharing expert tips from the best of the best in the burnout and stress management fields, and sharing hashtag straight from Kate episodes full of my own expertise plus actionable steps to help you end your own burnout cycle starting today. If you're feeling burnt out right now and need more personalized guidance, I'm here for you. In every episode, you'll find a link to book a free breakthrough burnout call. You can find it easily by heading to bit.ly forward slash call Kate or finding the link in the show notes. This free call helps us decide if one-on-one coaching is perfect for you. If it is, we'll get started. If it isn't, I might suggest one of my immediately available online courses, my book, The Bounce Back Ability Factor, or some sessions with a colleague who's better suited to exactly what you need right now. Also, if you happen to be in New York City, I'd love to see you as a patient. I'm a licensed acupuncturist with over 13 years of international experience, and right now my office is located in Midtown Manhattan. I focus on, you guessed it, burnout. I help your body build up a natural stress resilience to fight off all those pesky symptoms that come alongside burnout. You can find all the deets on that at katedonovanacupuncture.com. Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of Fried the Burnout Podcast. Today's guest was introduced to me um, in a clubhouse room not too long ago, and she in the course of the hour and a half that we were online, I'm pretty sure she said one sentence. And that one sentence made me reach out to her immediately after the talk and say, we need more about this. So suffice it to say that I am very excited about talking to Dr. Nanette Nestle today. She is a board certified pediatrician with 30 years experience in the field. She has chaired departments of PEDS in large clinics and at hospitals, and she has seen burnout from many angles and is now working to end it by combating it at the organizational level. Dr. Nan, thank you so much. Welcome to the show. So glad to have you. Thank you. I'm glad to be here. I really am. I'm excited. Cool. So we start every episode with the guest's own personal burnout story. And we've had physicians on the show before. So we've we've heard some of the stuff, but even the people that I've already had on the show um, were not chairing four different committees. And so so you already there's an extreme here. Okay. Right. So right, right. I want you to go into it and let us have it. All right. So as I told you my story, I first realized I was burned out when I was driving home post-call and I stopped at a four-way stop and I waited for the sign to turn green. The stop sign, not a stoplight, waiting for the sign to turn green. I didn't even realize what I was waiting for until the pickup truck behind me honked. I'm like, oh my goodness, that's not going to change color. And at the time I was chairing the Department of Pediatrics at a large multidisciplinary clinic that had 120 providers, only eight of whom were pediatricians. I was chairing the Department of Peds at, at one of the two nearby hospitals. I was chairing four other committees at that hospital. I was raising two children, one in grade school and one in high school, while my husband was unemployed and laid on the couch watching television all day. Um, 
I went in to speak with the chief medical officer at the clinic and told him, I think I'm burnt out. And he looked at me and said, well, what are you going to do about it? (laughs) That was his response. That was the extent of the wellness support I was going to get. What are you going to do about it? Yeah. Which basically says, what's wrong with you and how can you fix yourself? And it's your job to fix yourself and you're not going to get any support from us. And that's it. What year was this? Oh, goodness. This would have been around 2006 or 2008. So we're not really talking that long ago. No. 13 years ago, just over a decade. Right. No, we can offer you a leave of absence. We can get you some sort of support. Nothing. Um, And shortly after that, I went through a divorce and stepped down from chairing the committees and stepped down from being department chair at both places. And things didn't really get better. Mm. So I left there and um, became a locum physician. So for people that are listening that don't know what a locum physician is, can you explain that? (laughs) Yeah, sure. It meant that I had, that I became a traveling physician. Um, I no longer had to, I didn't have the same responsibility to keep my employer happy. Um, I still had to see patients, but I didn't have to meet the metrics of you will see this number of patients a day to meet this sort of satisfaction metrics. I mean, at the original clinic, we had these satisfaction surveys that came in and I actually got called into the chief medical officer's office one time because I was the second or third lowest pediatrician in the department in terms of satisfaction. I had a 92% satisfaction rating, 92%. But because I wasn't in the top half, I was in trouble with 92%. So I wasn't being held to the same metrics because I was a traveling doctor. I wasn't owned by the company that I was working for. And if I didn't like it, my contracts were only three to six months long. And at the end of that three to six months, I could move on and go elsewhere which I frequently did. Some locums, PD, some, some locums physician contracts are only a couple of weeks and some are for 11 or 12 months. I wouldn't take anything less than a month long because you have to learn a new electronic health record everywhere you go. And I was told by my tax accountant not to take anything 12 months because it can really mess up your taxes. So I generally took three to six months. Well, you take them for a month at a time, but I would take ones that were projected out to be three to six months long. And I got to go places really exciting, like Northern Maine in the middle of winter. Cool. (laughs) I'm like, I don't want to go to Maine. I don't want to go to Maine. They're like, but Dr. Nan, we know that you can drive in the snow. We really need somebody who can drive in the snow. Please come to Maine. I'm like, I don't want to go to Maine. They're like, here's the deal. If you go to Maine for a month, I'll send you to Hawaii for two months. I'm like, I'm there. Let me Okay, I'll go to Maine. (laughs) And it really was a lot of fun. They were wonderful people. And we would drive south to go to Canada for dinner. Oh, funny. <laughs> well, so when you're talking Northern Maine, you're really yeah, talking we, Northern Maine. Really Northern Maine. Television was a bit weird because you would get 20 channels on your cable TV. Four of them were shopping channels. <laughs> 
three or four were in English and the rest were in French. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I, I don't speak enough French to follow it. So that was interesting. We saw live caribou driving to and from work. Cool. And sometimes you would have a baby that need transport, transported out in the middle of the night. And so you call for the transport and they're like, okay, we can take it here. No, we can't. Call again. Okay, we can take it over here. Oh, wait, the ambulance was on its way, but the highway patrol turned them back because the snowstorm's so bad and nobody can fly. So you'd have a baby that's born at nine o'clock at night and it's noon the next day before you can send them anywhere. Yeah. So that was interesting. And then I got to go so far south in Arizona that I kept having to call Verizon and tell them, I'm not in Mexico. You need to change that chart. <laughs> till eventually Verizon gave me a plan that included Mexico because they got tired of me calling them. <laughs> <laughs> so how many years did you spend as a locum physician? Um, it was, it, I, I tell people 10, but I think it was like eight and a half a decade-ish. Um, yeah. Never yeah. Take. Right. And I spent two years in Hawaii, not consecutively, but on the same island in Hawaii. So I still have a lot of friends on the big island of Hawaii. Cool. And I try to get back there once a year and see them all. And um, actually, I was, I, I'm still in contact with them on Facebook, but um, I walked past my son's room last night, as a matter of fact, and I heard a voice that I recognized and I peeked in and Jeremy's my, my friend Jeremy was running a game room. He was the dungeon master. He's like, Hey Nan, I expect to see you in Hawaii next year at thus and such conference. I'm like, okay. Cool. <laughs> so yeah, you really do make some really good connections. But the thing that wasn't so good was everywhere I went, I saw bullying. Yeah. I dealt with bullying where I was initially. Anytime a physician stepped out of line of what administration wanted, these physicians were bullied back into line, myself included. And I saw that nearly everywhere that I went as a local physician. Yeah. So this is what came up during the clubhouse talk. You said the word bullying. And I was like, well, yeah, that has a ton to do with burnout. And I don't know why I haven't spoken about it yet. And when I kind of went back through my thoughts on it to say, like, why hasn't this come up for me? I've always burnt out. When I burnt out, I was an entrepreneur. So Ooh. when I look in my own situation, I'm not really in that normal, typical change your organization, change your corporation, you know, like culture shift that needs to happen. I'm creating my own culture that's burning me out. So like I'm self, I'm self-bullying kind of, you know, like at the end of the day, but I, I haven't gone into it because I don't spend a lot of time in that kind of scenario. But as soon as you said it, I mean, light bulbs just went off because when it comes to burnout, so much of what happens is external. And there's only so much you can self-care that you can do to combat right. bullying. Right. Like you, you can't, you, you, you can't self-care your way through bullying. No, you can't. And even if you, even if bullying aside, Self-care only helps 20% of the things that occur with burnout. And there, there are tons of studies on this. 80% of what occurs with burnout occurs at the organizational level. And that's why my company deals with burnout at the organizational level. But the kinds of things that we see with bullying are a lot of physicians that work for an organization rather than for themselves they get their salary, but then they get a bonus. And whether that a bonus occurs every quarter or once a year, when there's bullying, you'll see part of that bonus pulled back. 
That's the first thing that happens is they, they cut back your bonus. That's number one. The next thing that happens is they start messing with what's supposed to be your free time. Mm. They'll cut back on your, your, your vacation time. They'll call you in on your hours off. They'll start calling you in on your weekends off. They'll give you additional call. All those things happen. It's very, very real. And then they'll change the way they speak to you. We all know it happens. We all see it happen. It may have happened to you yourself or it happens to your colleagues. These things are very real. So when you say bullying, I just want to be really clear so that because there are people that are going to be listening right now that may have been bullied and not considered it to be such. Mm -hmm. So how would you define it? Oh, goodness. I was afraid you'd ask this. Oh, no, I, I can't say I was afraid you'd ask this. I didn't anticipate this question, and I honestly should have. <laughs> I didn't anticipate it either. It was just coming up now. So we'll do our best. There's um, no, it doesn't have to be the perfect definition, but it is something that you work on regularly. And something that you wrote on your website was that you work on dealing with bullying through improving communication that values yes. both, both the speaker and the listener. Right. So that was a really nice sentence. So would you say that bullying is the opposite of that communication that doesn't value the speaker or the listener? It is. It is both communication and action. Mm. that doesn't value the speaker or the listener. And it's also communication and action that singles a person out to be treated differently. Mm. Yeah. And we all we all see it and, and recognize it when we see it, but it, it's, it's like pornography. It's difficult to define. Yeah. Yeah. Because some of it, like you said, in, when you wrote in, when you filled in your um, guest form, you wrote that oftentimes it's sort of written off as. Sorry. That's okay. So when you filled out your, your form, your guest form, you wrote that oftentimes it's sort of pushed to the side as being politics mm -hmm. or just the way things are. Mm -hmm. So how do we, I think that a lot of people get caught up in situations where they are being bullied, but they don't recognize it because everybody was bullied before them. And that's just the way things are. So how do we help people figure out if what's happening in their space is bullying and their, their job right now is to actually get out of that space? Because if they're you know, it's just sort of your average physician or your average employee, they're not going to be making the structural change to the organization that needs to happen. And they probably won't last long enough to see it actually put into place if it does happen, because these we're talking a year, two years of implementation to correct yeah. communication styles um, at an organizational level. Well, first of all, I think you need to apply the golden and the platinum rule, probably the golden rule. So ask the person who's doing it, would they want it done to them? Mm. That's the golden rule. Um, and no, when you start looking at the organization level, it doesn't take two to three years to implement these things. That's what's so cool about what I'm using is you can see the change in a matter of hours. And we can implement these things to the leadership in a weekend, and then we can roll it out to their entire organization in two to three months. Okay, so two to three months. Mm -hmm. 
two when to you're three burnt months. out, you don't have two to three months. We see people hang on for years. And so two to three months is a huge improvement. That's a, that's an incredible light at the end of the tunnel. Yeah. Well, I mean, I don't mean that it's um, long. I mean that what I'm trying to think about is when do we tell people to just bounce and get out of the situation? And when do we tell people to hang in there because it's going to get better? Like if, if you need to get out, if you need living to get out, through you get another out. right, living through another two or three months is yeah. rough, and not everybody. Right. Maybe your system takes two or three months, but you know, I I know a lot of people and high level HR and organizational change rarely happens that quickly. So if most people don't have access right. to what you're offering, then how do people make the distinction of I'm being bullied? This is not okay. It's probably not going to change. I need out for my own personal safety. Right. By all means, I understand that. <clears throat> then they get out. Yeah. Yeah, but how do it, how how do people know? I think is the question, right? So how do you decide if you're being bullied or if this is just the way things are and it, it's okay? First, we shine a light on it, friend, and nobody's been doing that. That's the big thing, Caitlin. Okay. We've got to stop. First, we've got to stop calling it politics. Okay. First, we've got to stop calling it politics. That has to stop. It's like the question I saw on Twitter this morning. Um, There was a big discussion. It started yesterday. I think the thread may still be ongoing, and I can't remember whose handle I saw it under. But there was the question on Twitter about um, residents today not wanting to work the hours that you and I were working when we went through training. Yeah. And the answer is, why should they? Right. Right. They shouldn't. Nobody should have <laughs> Wait, to do that. Nobody, nobody should have to work 110 hours a week. It does not make you a better doctor. It does not. Right. Even the military is not doing that anymore. Right. Because they've done the studies that show it's not productive. Right. We need to shine a light on this as being bullying. And that's the first step. How far it will go and how fast it will happen. I don't have those answers right now. I wish I did. Yeah. But the first step is shine the light on it. Yeah. So then the question becomes, if you're an individual person and you're listening to this and you're thinking, am I being bullied? Like, is that, is it bullying? Is that what's happening? Go ahead and ask, first of all, shine a light on it. Start paying attention to it. Write down the incidences that bother you. That's how you shine a light on things. You don't have to talk about it right away. That, that will take time and a clear head, which you might not have if you've been bullied for a while. First, you've got to figure out what's going on. You've got to really just monitor and write down what's really happening. Then you can ask that question that you posed, right? You ask the question, if this was happening to this person who's doing it to me, would they like it? You know, you you can ask that question on your own without talking to them first and try and figure that out. And you have to just start uncovering, unpeeling the onion layers to find out what's really happening. But I I think it's safe to say, if you're in a hospital or you're in a law firm or you're a teacher, there's probably some bullying involved. IT also. Look at the hours they work. Yeah. Yeah. There's probably some bullying involved. So the thing that you do, 
you said, you know, you use communication that values both the speaker and the listener. People that are bullies, they're bullies because of habit, because of past trauma, because of a million reasons. And they're likely, we're talking about people that are probably 40 plus, 50 plus years old. So how do you help them to rearrange their mode of communication to be less bullyish? Is that a question for me? Yeah. Oh, okay. So yeah, this is all personality based. We have them do what we call crack your code. So they go to my website, they click the link that says crackmycode.com slash beat-burnout. We have them crack their personality code. We literally teach them how to listen to someone else's personality so that they connect better. Mm. They We retrain them how to communicate so that they hear someone else's personality. We teach them to listen better. We teach them to speak differently. And it's like the barriers come down. And when we do this in a corporate training, that's what has to happen to both the administrative side and to we get what the C-suite calls dysfunctional physicians and we have narcissists on the, on the C-suite side. And you see that happen with all parties and you see, you know, they've all got their barriers up when we start the training and by an hour or two after lunch, it just, it's all just crumbling away and they're all just openly communicating and speaking to each other in a way they've never done before, even if they've been working together for 15 years. So I, I did my own little quiz. Yeah. Um, I don't remember which letters came up, but it looked familiar to me. It looked like extended disc. Is that a similar thing? Yeah. Disc is actually one of our partners. Okay. Got it. So one of my best friends wrote a book on this in Polish. Mm-hmm. Oh, um, interesting. And I've worked with it a lot over the years. I've helped her teach this. So when I, I was looking at it, I was like, oh, I, I know this system, but I wasn't sure if it was um, if it was the same. So for people that don't know what extended disc is and don't know what it means to crack your code, can you can you break it down a little bit? Well, it, it's not extended disc. Disc is a completely different system, but disc and bank have recently become partners. Disc is, is um, good for certain things and bank is good for other things. And Bank tends to look more at the person sitting across the table from you. Bank is an acronym that stands for Blueprint, Action, Nurturing, and Knowledge. And Blueprint is a person who's inside the box, likes things very structured, likes their rules, um, their planning, their processes, their systems. The action type is completely outside the box. These are the movers, the shakers, the millionaire makers. We use the color red. They, They like, they're like, they just drink Red Bull for breakfast and they um, dress like they just came off the red color carpet. The end type, we use the color yellow. Yeah. Um, warm like sunshine, sweet like honey. They charisma are, natural. No, the red, the the red, the action type is the charisma type. The, oh, okay. the yellow type is really into relationships and teamwork and community. Mm. And they don't believe in winners unless the whole team is winning and the k the knowledge type we use the color green like the little excel logo yeah um they're the ones that engineered the box so to speak the the yellow recycle the box the the green the knowledge type engineer the box are in link to data 
and learning and logic. And so um, in medicine, nurses tend to be the nurturing type. Ks mm-hmm. tend to be the doctor type. Mm-hmm. Blueprints tend to be like your CFOs and your, your C-suite um, CEOs and that sort of thing. And you don't find very many A's, but when you do, they're, they're the ER docs mm. in um, the high earning surgeons sometimes. And so um, they all have to figure out a way to work together. And it's hard because they don't communicate the same at all. Right. So let's take it through. If you if we have a, a, a blueprint and um, so a blue color and a yellow color in the room together. Okay. Blueprint and a yellow color in the room. Okay, so we've had this recently where the nurturing type was trying to get things done to take care of her patients. And she was trying to print up the discharge summary on a labor and delivery patient so that she could send them out the door with the discharge papers. We didn't have any paper for our printer. She called over to get more paper from the printer. The CFO said, I don't believe you're out of paper. Go to the printer and count the number of pages you have in your printer. (laughs) Not making this up. I am not making this up. And then demanded that they fill out the requisition form and walk it over to her before she could hand them another ream of paper for the printer. Because she wanted the system followed. The nurturing type just wanted to take care of her patient. Right. And that's how you get conflict. And so how, where's the solution? The solution... Um, actually what happened was they, um, counted out the 15 pages of paper that were left in our printer. And we had three discharges to be done that way. And one of the nurse managers who was actually a combination of these two literally took the 15 pages of paper over to the CFO's office and said, these are the 15 pieces of paper we have left in the printer. Now, can we have a new ream of paper? Okay. And is this the best solution or is there a better way? There's got to be a better way. We no longer have that CFO, actually. (laughs) Fair. Because in all honesty, the paperwork had already been filled out and should have been acted on the week before. Right. And there's no excuse for sitting on something like that until it interferes with patient care. Okay. So, so so how, but how could they have fixed that communication? What would they be learning in a class to say like, okay, well, a yellow person just came to you or a blue person said this, like, what would be the thing that helps those walls crumble down? Um, The thing that helps those walls crumble down would be um, having a system in place that makes sure that you don't get that low on paper that allows the teamwork that anticipates that before it gets to that point so that everything works more smoothly. That way you're, you're, you're lifting up both colors and satisfying both of them, satisfying the needs of both of them. Okay. Well, that's a systems solution. 
that is a system solution that also improves teamwork. So it's also a, it's a blue solution and a yellow solution. So it's a win-win for both. Okay. And that's what eventually happened. <laughs> Good. <laughs> All right. So what if there are people that are blue and yellow right now that don't have a system upgrade that can be put into place right now and they have to get through a moment like today? Mm-hmm. Is it just understanding each other better? Is it it's, like it's, if you know a blue person talks like this and a yellow person talks like this, then you listen differently and you respond differently? And is that's just knowledge? Yes, yes th that's what happens. And so I literally went through the hospital and coded everybody on med surge, everybody in labor and delivery, and most of the rest of the hospital. And we weren't allowed to put anything on the front of the name tags, but we flipped the name tags around and we put little star stickers with their four part code on the backs of their name tags, which they don't flip around as much as now that we have the longer name tag yeah. thing at the back with your daily sticker that shows you went through the screening. Before that, they flipped around a lot. So now when there's a conflict, the first part of conflict negotiation is you reach over, you flip somebody's name tag around. You see what their bank code is. I hope they would flip it for themselves because now we're, yes. now we're getting into yeah. spatial violation. <laughs> well, or you ask. Yes. And the person will flip it around. Yes, right. you ask. And then you flip your own around and you start speaking to the first two codes. Okay. Your first code is what you are. Your second code is what you want to be. Your third code is your stress code. And your fourth code is what we call the throwaway code. You don't want somebody to be in their third code, their stress code. Okay. And we teach people to look for what code someone is acting like based on their behaviors. We call that speed coding. And you try to move, you try to speak to their first or second code so that you're moving them out of stress and speaking to their first or second code. And so that alone lowers everyone's anxiety. Right. And it helps you look for a win-win solution that's going to make them happier and feel valued. Because these, these words on these cards are all value-based. These words were chosen out of the values that these personalities are based on. So if you speak to those values, you're gonna make that person feel better and feel valued and feel happier. So you look for solutions based on those 12 words on the cards. And a lot of our staff have those cards. Right. And by doing that, conflict negotiation makes everyone feel uplifted and de-stressed. In so if these two people, the copier, mm -hmm. you know, mm -hmm. say they already know the code system. Mm -hmm. So yellow nurse notices she's out of paper. She knows that blue C CCO, CFO, I don't remember who it was, but blue C-suite person uh -huh. is blue. And yes. so instead of saying, can I get this paper? She says, I filled this form out. This filled, form was filled out last week. We have 15 pages. She counts them ahead of time because she knows mm -hmm. that Blue is going to want that. Mm -hmm. Right? So I this was filled out last week. Somehow it didn't get done. We have 15 pages left. Can I get? So she would shift the way she's speaking to the Blue right. in order to get the thing that she wants. Is that correct? Yeah. And she'll get a more positive answer back. So like, but it's, oh. a, it's a little work intensive. Not much, though. Not much. Not much, especially if you keep um, these cards in your pocket or next to the phone on the on the unit. Yeah. 
And the results actually come back faster. Right. And um, just the fact that we're getting the conflict resolution means that we're actually getting things done faster. Which productivity goes up. Yeah, the managers have noted. The managers noticed in a in a matter of a, about a week or two. Oh, hey, we're getting more effective conflict management. This is awesome. We want to continue this. Yeah. All right. So yeah. we have blue and yellow. We did a, a quick blue and yellow, and then we have uh, red and green. So red is like the action and the go for it and the red bull and the hay and green is the information, building things, putting things together Mm -hmm. kind of, Mm -hmm. right? So red and green. So this is something that um, I I know that I'm red. Okay. (laughs) I know that I'm red and I'm red in, in the, in the extended disc profile. I'm I'm red in the one that my friend created as well. And I'm, I'm red in this one. So I'm, I'm red all around. So one of the things, and my husband is green. Oh my. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So one of the things that I had to figure out in, in my relationship was that for, for my husband to feel safe, he needs clear information that he can build into some sort of structure that makes him feel safe. He needs stability and he needs information. Mm-hmm. And like he, that, that's how he puts things together. So I am an ideas person. People ask me consistently, like, how do I come up with so much content for social media? I never will stop. Content pours out of me like water. I I don't even have to think about it. It just, I always, there's always something going on, something to think about. I can't even keep up with them. So so I have an exciting idea that I'm really into in order for me to get a positive uh, set of feedback from my husband, I have to break down my idea into the tangible bits so that I can explain to him how it makes sense. And then you're going to have to back it up with charts and graphs. Yes, exactly. I do things in in an Excel sheet for him. Right. So when I have a patient that I want to do something with, that is not what, the nurses and the staff are used to doing. I have to go print up three articles that show why it's going to work. Right. And I have to bring that in because I'm an A. That's why I have those four letters after my name. I'm an ANKB. I have to come in and bring three articles in that are going to show the rest of the doctors, because most doctors are case. Mm -hmm the rest of the doctors, why this is going to work. And I usually have to back it up with an AAP guideline. <laughs> and this drives me nuts because I just want to go do it. Right. Why? Yeah. I, I'm, I'm a board certified pediatrician. Why should I have to justify this? Yeah. But I do. Yeah. I do. Every time. Yeah. And it wastes paper. <laughs> I do it. And yeah, this is what I have to go through. Um, But we're a small, tiny hospital. And I also know that I have a really close relationship. I'm usually the only pediatrician on duty. Yeah. And I have a really close relationship with the internists and, and the surgeons and all that. So just to keep them happy, if I if I know I've gotten to know their personal interests, right. if I see an article on something they're interested in, I'll print that up too. 
and bring it into because it's like giving them candy. Well, that's good leadership. <laughs> that too, but it's it, it's like they don't want donuts. Yeah. They don't want muffin. They want articles. And it's like, you guys are weird, but yeah. <laughs> well, they want articles and they want to know that, that who they are matters. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That they are not machines in the cog. They're valued. They're, they're valued, valued this, as this people. Is, yeah. This is their love language. Yeah. So to speak. But yes. yeah. Yeah. I like that a lot. So the, the, the only trouble that I have with this, and I know I'm picking mm. at a scab and I'm doing it on purpose. So I apologize, <laughs> I apologize ahead of time, but there are some bullies that are not going to adjust themselves. They don't mm-hmm. really give a shit yeah. what color yeah. or letter right. you are. They're mm-hmm. just jerks. Yeah. What do we do with that? You keep tipping away. You do what you can. I recently did a training with a group who came to me and said, can you fix these two narcissistic doctors in my group? And she was the CEO. And it took us two and a half months to set up the training. And I don't work alone. I I am the, the CEO and founder of my organization, but you can't do a training by yourself. No. So I bring in other trainers from our parent company. And one of them that I work with has several years experience, and she's also um, certified in NLP and some yeah. other things. And uh, she was on some of the setup calls and she goes, oh, my God, this woman's a narcissist. I'm like, yeah, big time. She's like, you're not going to be able to do this. I'm like, I can't back out now because I can tell the rest of her organization really needs this. And we were hoping to do the two day training and then roll them into ongoing training. Yeah, it was clear we were never going to roll them into ongoing right. training. But we still made considerable progress with the group. We made some progress with her, but not anywhere near what I would have liked. Yeah, we made considerable progress with the group. The group keeps going back to our website and rolling things out with their team. Which is good news. But yeah, we kind of made a chink in her armor and that was it. Right. So this is the thing that comes up for me a lot because I think that um, I don't, subscribe to the notion that there are as many toxic people in the world as we're talking about or as on a general basis, but there are toxic people in the world. And so I, I kind of straddle the middle, which I do on a lot of things. I spend a lot of time in, in gray zones because I feel like a lot of things are true over here, but not true over there. And, and mm-hmm. there, there's a lot of wiggle room in a lot of things. And so for me, when you are working at an organization of any size or shape, where one of the leads in the organization is a narcissist, you got to go. You got to get out to protect yourself. That would be 80% of the organizations I've worked at. Right. So then this is my point, right? This is the whole thing. It takes it takes a massive amount of self-awareness and trust to be able to shift out of some of those patterns. I mean, sometimes the best therapists don't even get anywhere with narcissists. Like it's not this, it's not a, any sort of reflection on your company or your, your, um, or bank because narcissism is narcissism. It's, it's it's beyond us, you know? 
It is, but with this training, I have learned a lot of tools to protect myself. Yeah. I have learned to do what we call be the cloud. So Mm -hmm. when somebody wants to be a narcissist, you learn to just let it flow through you and go on and be able to do your work. Um, There, you have to learn at what point you can't just, you just can't. Right. But that's probably 25%, not 80%. Okay. (laughs) Okay. That's fair. Yeah. That's fair. So then there, and and everybody has to judge that point for themselves, themselves. Right. When is it just right? When have you been the cloud and you just can't cloud anymore? (laughs) I I call that going beige. You just just go beige, like become the like that. Just just go beige. Yeah. But sometimes there's only so much of that you can take. If, if a plant is in the wrong sunlight, you can talk to the plant all day and tell it sweet nothings, which matters, which you, if you, yeah, if you play yeah. music for a plant and you talk to a plant, it makes it better. But if it's in the wrong sunlight in the wrong soil, there's only so much you can do. There's only so much sweet singing. Yes. And sweet talking that you can do to, to allow it to thrive. So the question becomes, the, and this is always sort of my goal, like do everything you can within yourself so fall back on, on the self-care, because that's what this is, becoming the cloud of self-care. Fall back mm-hmm. on the self-care. Do everything that you can to keep yourself protected. And if you find that that's not enough, you got to bounce. Agree? Disagree? I agree. I agree. I do. I do. Because sometimes it's just... <sighs> oh, yeah. Sometimes it's just beyond, but I don't think that everybody that bothers you or says anything bad in your life is a bully or a narcissist. Mm -mm. Mm -mm. Right. And that's, I think that that's a line that people are, are jumping over too quickly. Like this person didn't respect my boundary. That means they're toxic. Whoa, 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 whoa. Hold on. Did they know there was a boundary? Were you clear that there was a boundary? Is this person in some, like, who knows, you know? Well, and once you've been bullied, you become highly sensitive about it. And you sometimes need to know where to go to rebuild your strength, Mm. to rebuild your walls, to get the tools, to get back to normal. And that's hard. That's hard. What do you have a, a top tool? that you love or does it depend on your, does it depend on your letter or your color? For a long time, working out was my top tool. Mm. Yeah. (laughs) Right. But I'm, I'm older and I worked out a lot and I've had three joint injuries in the last three months right now. Mm -hmm. I'm on disability. So I'm looking for my next best tool. I'm hoping I find it soon. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, but everybody's best tool will be a little bit different. Yeah. Or it will be a set of best tools because I'm not, um, in Chinese medicine, we say that rituals calm the heart, right? So there's rituals are are an important piece of Mm -hmm. doing things. But I find that when I choose a ritual, I, I get real rigid about it, which ends up being not helpful. Like I go too far. It helps for a while. Yeah, for a while. And then yeah. it doesn't. Yeah. yeah. So I have yeah. to be careful about things like that. So I don't usually have a a top thing. I have mm-hmm. a, a lot of 
in my coaching practice, we call them mini healing moments because I, I find that during the day, there's going to be a million stressors, uh, some of them internal, most of them external, they're going to happen. So how many times are you coming back to yourself during the day and having a healing moment that will boost you to be able to deal with whatever's coming next? Are you taking time during the day to heal? And the only thing that you need to heal is to be in a parasympathetic nervous state, right? Like you need, you need to be, your vagus system needs to be regulated. You need good blood flow, you know? So how many ways can we get your body into a state that's healing? Well, in that case, mine would be meditation because mm. I find myself doing that for just a few minutes at a time, many times a day. Yeah, beautiful. That's gorgeous. Yeah. And one of the things I tell people at work is every time you see that little spinning thing yeah. on your computer, that's your meditation time. Yeah. And they look at me like I'm nuts and then they try it and they're like, you can't believe how much better my day is since I started doing that. Right. And we're talking get- moments. Moments. Yeah. yeah. And, it, and it completely changes how they feel about the computer buffering. Right. Yeah. Because it's never about the computer buffering, is it? it that's Mm-mm. just a, an area where you can let go of whatever steam you've been holding on to for the past yeah. few hours. Like the guy that cuts you off in traffic. It's not about that guy. Usually it's about the past seven hours where you were irritated and didn't say anything about it. And now you have the freedom and to let it go. The, the Hawaiians have an attitude about the guy that cuts you off in, in traffic. They say, if you don't let at least two people in on your way to work and at least two people in on your way home, you're not driving with aloha. Mm, I love that. Oh, ooh, yeah. I need to step up my game, don't I? <laughs> I love that. Yeah. I actually had a realization on the highway when I was in uh, doing my master's degree in Chinese medicine. I was living in San Diego. And so that was a four-year process. And that was in the early 2000s. And I was driving down the highway. Uh, I think I was on the 405. Oh, the 405. <laughs> I was on the 405 <laughs> or the five. I can't really remember. And doesn't matter. They're, doesn't they're, matter. Yeah. And somebody flew by me. Like, <gasps> and I'm not a slow driver. I have a heavy foot. It's a, it's a heavy foot problem. I'm not a slow driver. I was probably going 75 or 80 myself. And this guy blasted right past me. And it made me nervous. Mm-hmm. And then I thought to myself, what if that guy's kid just got sent to the hospital? Yeah. Like what? Yeah. What, how would I be driving if I found out that my child was in an accident? I don't even have yeah. kids, but that's what I was thinking at that moment. And it, yeah. it was a moment. It was one day that guy could have just been an asshole. I don't know, but it was one moment in one day that completely shifted my ability to be present in my car and not leave my emotions in somebody else's car and somebody else's yeah. business. Cause I do not know what is going on over there. And I bet you, I would be like a bat out of hell if somebody, yeah. somebody that I yeah. love needed me, Yeah, you know? And that was that moment for me that I was like, Oh, oh but I love this. Um, let two people in on the way in and on the way out Yeah, to maintain your aloha. I love that. Changes everything, doesn't it? Changes everything. Even talking about it is a little bit of a yes centering. <laughs> Even talking about it is a little bit of a centering. So when you you were saying that each letter and color has its stress state. Each position mm-hmm. of the code has a meaning. Mm-hmm. So your your first position is who you are. The second position is who you want to be. The third position is what we call your stress code. Mm -hmm. That's 
the code that, that shows up when you're feeling anxiety or you're stressed. Got it. So when I'm under stress, I, I, I research the heck out of everything. Hey, guess what? Me too. And, and my teammates can always tell when I'm stressed. Mm-hmm. And your fourth code is your throwaway code. So literally when somebody handed me the cards and asked me to, to crack my code, I literally wanted to throw that one in the trash. Right. And some people literally have thrown that fourth card in the trash. So yeah. that's why they call it the throwaway code. That's blue for me. Yeah. So um, growing up, my mother was a blueprint. Mm. And I'm not. And coming <laughs> so not and so not. <laughs> growing up, we had a rule in the house, or mom had a rule in the house, that when we came home from school, we were required to do our homework and a certain number of chores before we could go outside. By the time I got my homework and those chores done, the streetlights had come on. Yeah. <sighs> yeah. Couldn't go out and couldn't go out and play. I'm like, okay, that's fine. I'll go out and play on Saturday. I would get up Saturday morning and she had drawn out a list every single Saturday morning, all the stuff we had to do before we could go play with our friends. And since I was one of the older kids, if I got the things on the list that were for me done, I had to help my younger brothers and sisters before I could go play. Yeah. Every, I thought she hated me. <laughs> no, she was just a different I thought she hated code. <laughs> she, she was just a different code. <laughs> She had lists for everything and she had processes. So the dishwasher had to be filled a certain way. Yeah. The dusting had to be done a certain way. Right. The vacuum cleaner, you had to run the vacuum cleaner this direction and then you had to run it that direction. Just run the, just run the vacuum cleaner. Says the red. <laughs> <laughs> I still get that. I'm like, who cares? Okay. It was a struggle. Yeah. But this is interesting because this is something that um, my best friend who also has like a not it's not extended disc, but sort of her version of these four colors. Yeah. And, and yeah. they're very they're all pretty similar, similar right. alignment. Right. Um, she also did it in court in corporations for years and years and years. She was um, the top trainer in Poland. So she did this a lot, a lot, a lot yeah. for years. Yeah. But she started using it um, after she wrote her book. She People started contacting her and saying, what do I, how do I talk to my child? Right. 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 So this, this, when you learn this type of communication, when you figure out these personality styles and you can learn, use this, you can use it at home too. I've mentioned my husband earlier, but I have seen people transform their relationships with their children because mm-hmm. they realize that maybe their children is blue or maybe their child is yellow or maybe, it, and it changes everything. Well, it's interesting you bring that up because <clears throat> we have these cards in 20 different languages, but we also have them in icons. For mm. kids who don't yet read, mm-hmm. you can reliably crack your child's code down to four and with some success down to age two or three. Love. With the icon codes. And we have um, classes that we do specifically on relationships. Love. Yeah. That's great. Yeah. That's great. So for everybody listening, I know we started off talking about big hospitals and corporate organizational changes and big things, but these big things and these big changes that are happening on grand scales can also be used in your own personal life. Absolutely. Right. To make Absolutely. things better and easier. And if you can figure out how to how to help each other in your in your small community, in your family or your small community of people, how to help each other move away from that stress 
phase. You change everything for everybody. Right. What's more important than our relationships with our family? I mean, even yeah. your chosen family, because I know not everybody has the benefit of, of having their actual family yeah. um, by their sides, but even your chosen family. I mean, making these connections, understanding other people's values, meeting them where they are and allowing other people to meet you where you are. Because that can be tricky when you're learning how to do this and people start meeting you where you are. You're like, whoa, oh, oh, hey, oh, OK, that feels better. <laughs> it's really nice. Yeah. So, Dr. Nan. Thank you so much. Thank you. Appreciate it. I really do. It's been a joy. I hope that you heal quickly. (laughs) Thank you. It's been an absolute joy today. Thank you, Kate. You're so very welcome. And there there are some Chinese herbal soaks that help (gasps) healing. So I can send you links to that that stuff if you're interested after the show. Because there's stuff like this that I feel like um, Chinese medicine just does so well and Western medicine doesn't always there's stuff that I I mean hi I ruptured my Achilles I went straight to the hospital and got that thing repaired of course but during my recovery I was soaking it in Chinese herbs all the time because okay that made my recovery faster so um so yeah I can I can send you some links and maybe get you to heal a little faster and get you back please do yes as fast as possible thanks again and everybody thank you for listening uh be sure to share and review and do all the fun things all of Dr. Nan's information will be in the show notes so should you be curious about your code or your family's code please go to her website and figure it out and get that communication going better because not only do you not want to be bullied and do we want to change bullying, but you also want to not be the bully, even if it's by accident. So this might be a way to help you avoid that too. Until next time.